Today we talk about hormones, specifically estrogen and progesterone. I'm Dr. Mark Amos, and this is Taco About Fertility Tuesday. I get a lot of questions about hormones. Specifically, I get questions about estrogen and progesterone. I get questions about why is this version better than this version? Or why is my progesterone level low even though I'm taking vaginal suppositories? And so today, I want to take a moment to go over those hormones to help you understand why we give the routes we do, why sometimes we change them, and why when you test them, they don't come back the way you think they would. So let's start with estrogen. Estrogen is a broad category. So in estrogen, you have three different types of estrogen in the body. You have the estrogen that we think of in most females, which is estradiol. There's also an estrogen called estriol. Estriol is from the placenta, so it's only made during uh, pregnancy from the baby. And then there's a third estrogen, which even men have, and that is estrone. Now, men have estradiol as well, and we'll get into that in a little bit. But estrone is the estrogen that's made from aromatization of testosterone in the fat tissue. So let's start first with estradiol, since that's the most common form of estrogen. Estrogen is the byproduct of testosterone. Testosterone is made through metabolism of progesterone. And then that testosterone is aromatized to be made into estrogen. Now, depending on which precursor you start with depends on which estrogen you get. Now, estradiol is the hormone that we use in fertility. And that's because it's the natural hormone that's in your body that makes the lining of the uterus build up. It's the natural hormone in your body that fluctuates every month. And so that's why we use it. Now, there are different types of estrogen. You can use what are called bioidentical estrogens, and then you can use estrogens that are not bioidentical. Bioidentical means they're exactly the same as the real hormone in your body, but they maybe have been chemically made, but they're still the exact same hormone. Whereas a hormone like Premarin is a hormone made from conjugated estrogens. So it's a whole bunch of estrogens that does have estradiol in it, and they call that estrogen. So in most fertility centers, we use what's called estrase. Estrase is a bioidentical estrogen. And the nice thing about it is you can take it orally and that can build up your estrogen. So when we're doing what we call frozen embryo transfers, or if you're doing an artificial insemination, your lining's not getting thick, you can add estrogen and estrogen will then build up the lining. So that way your line will be ready for a transfer. And the same thing if you're doing an IUI, if you give estrogen, you can build up your lining if it's not thick enough. Now, so far, this seems pretty simple. When the lining's thin, you just give estrogen. And in a frozen embryo transfer, that is true. You can just give estrogen and it makes the lining go up. But in an artificial insemination cycle, it's a little bit different. Because in that cycle, you're also trying to make eggs grow. And you're using medications that react to estrogen. So, for example, let's say you're taking a med like Clomid or a med like Famara. Both of those medications 
purposely lower the estrogen level that then causes your brain to make more hormones such as FSH. So if you take estrogen too soon in the cycle for artificial insemination, you'll actually make the clomid and the fumara not work. So as you can see, estrogen is good sometimes, but sometimes it can actually be bad and can actually stop the body's response to making follicles. Now, if any of you have ever gone through a frozen embryo transfer, you probably know that some people will take oral estrogen, some people will take patches, and other people will actually take injectable estrogen. Now, the question is why? If estrogen is able to be absorbed orally, why would you need to take it through an injection? And the reason is is because everybody's absorption is a little bit different. There are some people who go and take oral estrogen and their estrogen levels get high enough that it causes the lining of the uterus to build up. There are other people who it doesn't work for. So we have to use patches and the patches transdermally go through the skin and the estrogen levels can go up high enough to build the lining. And then there's injectables. Injectables are taking the estrogen, putting them in the muscle to allowing better absorption because through the skin you lose some because not all of it makes it through. Even orally, you don't get all of it. So each one has different absorptions. Some people even use estrogen vaginally. And again, that allows a local effect of the estrogen. So next, let's talk about birth control pills because birth control pills have an estrogen in them. And that estrogen is called ethanol estradiol. It's not exactly estradiol. It's not a bioidentical estrogen. It's actually stronger. When it binds to the receptors, it doesn't let go as well. And so it's able to have a large effect. Now, why this is important is, is because we were talking earlier about estrogen is bioidentical, but ethanol estradiol is not. So I've had many patients ask me, you know, I was on birth control and when the doctor checked my estrogen, it was pretty much zero. Why is that? Well, that's because the blood they're looking for is estradiol not ethanol estradiol. So the lab is going to come back showing your estrogen is low because it is. The estrogen you are taking is a chemical estrogen. So when the lab is looking at estradiol, it's not going to pick it up. And that chemical estrogen is shutting down the rest of your body because it's not going to make hormones if it thinks the estrogen is already strong. So all of your hormones are going to be low. Your FSH will be low. Your LH will be low. Your progesterone levels will be low. And so when people come to me and say, why are my hormones low? I say them because the birth control is not being picked up, but it's suppressing everything. This is one of the reasons you can't do ovarian reserve testing on birth control pills when you're looking at FSH levels and estrogen levels because they'll be suppressed on birth control pills. And the same token, if you even you were taking plain estrogen and you try to do day three labs, you would actually get incorrect results because of the fact that the estrogen levels would cause your FSH levels to be low, and so you wouldn't be able to use the results. Now, jumping off of that subject, let's talk a little bit about vaginal administration of hormones. When you are taking a hormone vaginally, you are getting a local effect. So the hormone, although it's going into the blood a little bit, is mainly passively going through the vaginal blood vessels right to the uterus. And the uterus is going to use up a lot of that hormone. And then what's going to happen is the leftover hormones can go in the bloodstream, but it's going to be less. 
Now, why this is important is because just like with estrogen, progesterone is similar. If you are taking vaginal hormones, then there's a good chance you're not going to see a high level in your blood level. Matter of fact, studies have been done where they have looked at how much progesterone is in the uterine lining when taking vaginal progesterone compared to the blood. And they're completely off. Matter of fact, when you take vaginal progesterone, the levels are very high in the uterus. But the problem is there's no way to prove that. And so I'll see people who are on vaginal progesterone who will just randomly get their progesterone level drawn. And then they'll say to me, look, my progesterone is not high enough. And I tell them, well, no, you can't test the blood level because it's a local absorption. And so it's important to understand when you're looking at hormones, the administration you are taking is going to affect your blood levels. So for example, when it comes to estrogen, whether you take it orally, transdermally, or if you take an injectable, you're usually going to see in the blood level. Now, each one of those have different absorptions, so it's going to affect your blood level, but they all will be reflected in the blood level. But if you take estrogen vaginally, you're not going to see as much of an increase in the blood levels because it's more of a local effect. The same thing goes with progesterone. If you take micro, um, micronized progesterone orally, you will have some increase in the blood levels, but it won't be great. But if you take injectable progesterone, you will see it in the blood levels. And if you take vaginal progesterone, you're going to see it minimally in the blood levels. So never be worried about your blood levels of a hormone if you're taking that hormone vaginally. So we spend a lot of time on estrogen. So now we're going to talk a little bit about progesterone. Progesterone is the hormone of pregnancy. And it's a very important hormone. We know that if you're pregnant naturally and you have what's called a corpus luteum. Now, corpus luteum is what makes progesterone naturally in the body. When you ovulate, you release this sac, which is the egg, and then the sac closes back up and you make progesterone. We call that the corpus luteum. Now, what's so important about this structure is it lasts for approximately two weeks. What that means is, is during that two weeks, your body is releasing another hormone called LH. And what it's doing is it's keeping that corpus luteum to keep making progesterone. And that's because the pregnancy needs it. And then the mutual lining needs it. And then what happens is, if you get pregnant, the baby starts releasing a hormone called HCG. HCG is not so you can see that you're pregnant on a pregnancy stick. It's actually the rescue, the corpus luteum. Because what normally will happen is that two weeks, that corpus luteum is going to collapse and your progesterone level will fall and you will get amenses. But the HCG from the baby, which is technically from the placenta, is going to keep that corpus luteum around because HCG looks like LH. And so that corpus luteum will stick around and the pregnancy will keep going. So progesterone is an extremely important portion in pregnancy. Now, what's interesting is, if you heard I was talking about HCG acts like progesterone. I mean, I'm sorry, like LH. And if you think about it, when you think about things that we do in fertility, we use an HCG trigger to make you ovulate. But what makes you ovulate is LH. So as you can see, here's one of those situations where one hormone can act like another hormone. 
The same thing as when you use Menopure. Menopure has LH activity. And they put a little bit of HCG in it to get the LH activity. It doesn't actually have LH in it because LH is not as stable. The main point here is progesterone is very important. You should be worried about it. So one thing I want to make sure everyone understands is I'm not saying you shouldn't be worried about progesterone. I just want you to be worried when it's appropriate. So in the situation where you're taking vaginal progesterone, do not be worried about the blood levels because it's a local absorption. When you're talking about injectable progesterone, then yes, it needs to be elevated and we want it to be at least 20 or above. In a prior podcast, I talked about bleeding in pregnancy. And one of the concepts we talked about is similar to this, where we said, when you get pregnant naturally, we know the bleeding is related to the pregnancy because if the pregnancy is having problems, the ACG levels drop, causing bleeding because the progesterone levels will drop. But we talked about in the frozen embryo transfer, you're giving the progesterone. So bleeding never represents the baby because even if the baby stopped making HCG, you wouldn't get bleeding because you're already taking the progesterone. And so the reason I bring this up is I just want to show you that all of these things are connected. And so as we keep going through these podcasts, you're going to have a greater and greater understanding of everything. So one of the last things I want to talk about is random levels of hormones. I see people all the time coming to me with labs from their doctors, and they draw random levels of hormones, and then they get worried about them. And so we talked about this a little bit in the beginning. So let's talk about this with respect to each one. So first, let's talk about drawing your hormones to look for ovarian reserve. It is very important that you draw the hormones in the first two to three days cycle when you're looking at FSH, follicle-stimulating hormone. And the reason why is because in the middle of the cycle, the estrogen levels are going to be high. And if they're high, they're going to falsely lower your FSH levels, which is then going to make it look better than it really is. So random blood draws are good if you assume someone's in menopause because they're going to be elevated. But for everybody else, it doesn't matter what your FSH level is if your estrogen level is above 50. And so if your doctor is just drawing an FSH level but not drawing an estrogen level, it doesn't tell us anything about it. So don't worry about an estrogen level being elevated in the middle of the cycle because that's normal. But also remember that the FSH level is not going to be accurate. The other common situation I come across is progesterone levels. Matter of fact, I see lots of naturopathic doctors who will draw progesterone levels in the beginning of the cycle. Now, the funny thing is, progesterone only goes up after ovulation. We talked about that. It sticks around for two weeks after the corpus luteum is created. So if I draw a progesterone level in the first 12 days, of course it's going to be low. Yet I have patients come in to me and go, look, my progesterone levels are really low. It's less than one. And I say, well, yeah, it's supposed to be. That, that shouldn't be worrisome. But they're like, no, no, I was told that it should be higher than this. And the answer is, no, it's not supposed to be. In the beginning of the cycle, your progesterone level should be actually very low. But at the second half of the cycle, the estrogen levels would go up. But one of the biggest issues I see is people try to use data from another study when looking at progesterone levels naturally. Now, what I mean by that is there was a time when they found out if you were pregnant and had bleeding, if you drew a progesterone level, 
you would find that that progesterone level should be above 20. Specifically, in this study, it was above, should be above 10. If it was less than 10, they found that there was a high chance that you were going to have a miscarriage. Now, if you think about that, that kind of makes sense. If a normal pregnancy is going to be around 20 and your number is under 10, then something's probably wrong and that might lead to a miscarriage. But what happened was, is that OBGYNs are not fertility doctors, and I understand that, but they misunderstood it. So they draw what's called a day 21 progesterone level, which is when we draw the progesterone to find out if you're ovulating. Now, if you're ovulating, we use the number four. If you're above four, you have to ovulate. There is no other way that your body can have more progesterone than four unless someone's injecting you with progesterone at night. So the point is, that's the number you use for ovulation, but people will look at that number and say, oh, look, your number's under 10, it's eight. That shows you have a luteal phase defect, that your progesterone's not good enough. But, but that's wrong. You're not pregnant. You would need to draw the progesterone, you know, for multiple times in a day and then average it to find out what the progesterone level is. It probably is above 10. But the point is they took a study and tried to adapt it to everyday life. And, and that's wrong. And that's why it's incorrect. And so the point for that is don't look at progesterone on a day 21 as whether your pregnancy is going well. Because that doesn't reflect a pregnancy. That reflects whether you ovulate or not. When you are pregnant and you draw a progesterone level, if that progesterone level is under 10, then yes, you should be concerned. That is not normal. And that could mean an impending miscarriage. Hopefully, all of this was helpful. The goal here was to make sure you understand how estrogen and progesterone work, understand why we sometimes give it vaginal versus oral, and even more important, to be able to understand the numbers. I think if there's anything people get more nervous about is when they start going on Google and they start putting in numbers and they start worrying. And so for this very last part, I want to talk about estrogen levels when you're doing IVF. And the reason why is because so many times I have people get nervous that their estrogen level is low. And it's important to not compare yourself to someone else. I have people all the time who come to me and say, well, I'm day eight and she's day eight. Her estrogen level is 2,000. Mine's only 1,000. And that's true. And there's nothing wrong with that. Estrogen levels in IVF, it's only being used to see the progress. We're not actually looking at the number and caring so much about the number. We're looking at what the number represents. So if I draw an estrogen level in the beginning of the cycle and I haven't done an ultrasound and I see that number high, I know it means one of two things. It means either there's a lot of follicles growing or there's one follicle that's much bigger than the rest and causing the estrogen level to go up higher. On the same token, at the very end of the cycle, we are looking at the number of estrogen because now we're looking at at the time of trigger, does the estrogen compare to the number of eggs you have? So if someone has 10 follicles, I expect an estrogen level that's compatible with 10 follicles. And so recently, I even had a situation where a patient had a very high estrogen level, but she didn't have a lot of eggs. And I kept saying to her, this is strange. I don't understand why your estrogen is so low. And we looked and looked for this ovary, and we could not find her ovary on the right side. And she swore she had it, and I believed her. I just couldn't find it. And so interesting, when we got to the retrieval, as I promised her, I said, listen, I will do everything I can to look for it if it really is there. I thought we already found it and it looked like there was no eggs on it, but we'll try. And when we looked, we found it. 
So estrogen levels usually do make sense, but you can't look at them in the middle. You got to look at them at the end. So when you're comparing yourself to someone, compare yourself to the estrogen trigger, and then you need to know how many follicles they have. Now, if you're in the middle of the cycle and you only have two follicles growing, your estrogen level is going to be lower. If you have lots of follicles growing, your estrogen level is going to be higher. So when people ask me, aren't you concerned about the estrogen level? I say, well, you only have two eggs. I don't expect the estrogen level to be that high. And then on the same token, if you have lots of follicles and they go, well, I'm worried about the high number, I go, well, you have lots of eggs. I expect the number to be high. So the point is, I find most stress from people comes from the situation where they're comparing themselves to others. And the thing is, there's nothing wrong comparing yourself. But if you're going to compare yourself, compare apples to apples. Find out the day they're on, find out how many follicles they have, find out the doses they're on, find out they're even on estrogen. Some people are actually on estrogen while going through a stimulation cycle. They could be on Femara and that could be lowering their estrogen level. All those things are important when comparing each other. But most of all, what I'd say is just ask your doctor because you will drive yourself nuts trying to compare yourself, thinking things are going wrong. And I've had people have amazing cycles who are freaking out the whole time and I don't understand. I'm like, it's amazing what's going on, and, but they're scared because they read something online. The point is you have to compare apples to apples. But before I end, I just want to say one thing. Today's the anniversary of my wife and I. It's been 19 years we've been together, married, 29 years together in person. I met her when I was 15 years old. I still remember the day she walked into that science class. I'm so thankful for my wife because not only has she been my partner through all these years, but she is the reason I'm able to do these things. She is the one who keeps my kids quiet in the other room when I try to do a podcast. She's the one who supports me when doing these things instead of spending that extra 30 minutes with her. And so I just want to thank her for all these years. And I look forward to all the years in the future with her. It's always a pleasure doing these podcasts. I hope everyone learns something. I look forward to talking to you guys again next week on Taco Bout for Tuesday. Tuesday.